I don't know about you, but when I uh, look at that, and I've looked at it, uh, I have no idea how many times. I can't help but think. In the United States of America, uh, they voted the Supreme Court to outlaw the reading of the Bible in public schools. And uh, if you tried to get into most schools uh, with a Bible, you would be suspect. And here's a country that we look at as a heathen country, Papua New Guinea. And here they are saying, would you put the Bible in the hands of every student in Papua New Guinea? Now, this started in 2017, and uh, we have already put the Bible in the hands of every high school student and about 60% of the junior high school students. Uh, well over uh, one half of the project is finished. And uh, we would love to put the Bible in the hands of all of the elementary students. And when you think about that, when they take the Bible home, there would be at least four or five, maybe six people in the home. So the Bible is getting into the homes of literally uh, millions of people. And the good thing is, when they go, they don't just give the Bible to anybody. They go to a school. They have an assembly. They preach the word of God. They give an invitation for young people to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then they give each of them a Bible. And already there are literally, and this is not an exaggeration, there are already thousands of people going to churches all over New Guinea that had never gone to church before in all of their life. And to think about it, okay, you can provide a Bible for a student in New Guinea for $3 per Bible. Now, uh, when you think about 2.17 million Bibles, that's a lot of money. Uh, but God has miraculously provided thus far for well over half of the Bibles to be printed. So uh, uh, would, would you pray about that? Uh, let me thank all of you for the opportunity to be here with you. Uh, this is my uh, third time to be here at Bethel Baptist Church. And I've appreciated every opportunity to meet and to be with you, dear people, to fellowship with you. Uh, thank, thank you for the kind treatment that you have given me. Uh, I have lived in luxury uh, for the past, let's see, when did I get here? I got here, I think I got here Wednesday. It, no, 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 actually it was Thursday morning at 2.30, okay. And uh, so I've lived in the judge's uh, little house trailer over here, okay. And it's a very luxurious place. And thank you, Brother and Miss Judge, for the uh, op opportunity of uh, being in that. And uh, then the kindness of the pastor and his wife. Uh, my shirts were all messed up, and I, have a, I did not know that I had an iron in the, in the, the uh, RV unit. And uh, I'm glad I didn't know it, uh, because uh, a message fairy, she decided she would iron my shirts for her. And she said, I'll come over there and iron them. Then I found out there's an iron and an iron board there. But I'm glad I didn't find out about it, okay? And uh, I had tried to iron the shirts, but by the time you get suitcases, two different places, uh, they're a mess. And, you know, and the meals have been delicious. 
I, I think I have gained at least a pound every day. And that's good even for a pig. Amen. A pound a day would be good, good weight. Okay. And uh, so uh, thank you so much for your kindness and all that you have uh, given to me. And thank you just for the opportunity to be here and to minister the word of God. Uh, God called me to preach when I was uh, 21 years old. And uh, uh, I, I remember the night that, that I told the, the church about me calling to preach. And uh, uh, Brother Jones looked at me and he said, Now, Don, are you sure God's called you to preach? I said, Oh, yeah, I know God's called me to preach. He said, Okay, you can preach Wednesday night then. And I thought, I, I know God's called me to preach, but I don't have anything to preach yet, okay? <laughs> but I got something. I have no idea what it was. Thank God we didn't have recorders back in those days, okay? But uh, it, it's a joy just to be here and to fellowship with you, the missionaries. Uh, every day for many, many years, I have been involved with missionaries, meeting them, reading their prayer letters, talking to them, emailing, uh, FaceTime, whatever. And, and it, it always thrills me. Every time somebody shows a missionary presentation and they say in that God has led us to go to this country, then I know that if they go there and they preach the word of God and they're faithful to God and then and, and somebody is going to get saved. So it's just been a blessing to be here. Uh, thank you so much, Pastor, for the invitation. I appreciate it more than you can ever know. Uh, open your Bibles with me tonight to Matthew chapter six, the gospel of Matthew chapter six. And I'm going to be reading, uh, begin reading in verse 19 in that chapter. And I'm going to read the entire chapter, the, the rest of that chapter. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, uh, I, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. And I want you to think about this subject tonight, investing in eternity. Investing in eternity. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says, and You'll notice in your Bible, particularly if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, that all of this is in red. These are the words of Jesus Christ. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And he says, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then a very insightful thought. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if the eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat 
and the body than remnant? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for the remnant? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they toil, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the fields, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again tonight for your word, the Bible. Thank you, dear Lord, that in training your disciples that you left us this holy word that guides us in our generation. Now I pray that you'll speak to each of our hearts tonight and help each of us to find what you would have us to do and then in simple childlike faith that we will follow your leadership. And Lord, we'll praise you again tonight for whatever you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is training his disciples now think about it. Uh, Jesus was God incarnated in the flesh. Uh, he was a man. Somebody as well said he was as much man as if he had not been God. And he was as much God as if he had not been man. He was not 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% man and he was 100% God. For instance, he got tired, he got thirsty, he got hungry. And, you know, just like we do and so forth. But by the same token, uh, he could say to the storm, be still, okay? And he could touch somebody and they would be healed. And, and he could take a little bit of food and he could multiply that. And, and with a little bit of food, he could feed uh, thousands and thousands of people. So he was man, but he was God. And uh, uh, he knew what people were thinking. He, he didn't, does not only know what we say, uh, he knows what we think, okay? Now, that's kind of scary sometimes, okay? But God knows all about us. And uh, he knew that one day that he was going to be crucified. By the way, he taught his disciples that. He taught them that they were going to Jerusalem and uh, when they got there, they were going to arrest him and they were going to beat him with clubs and they were going to scourge him and they were going to hang him on a tree and that he was going to be buried and he's going to be resurrected from the grave. Uh, he taught the disciples that. And uh, 
He also knew that after he had died for the sins of the world, that he was going to be resurrected. And after his resurrection, he was going to meet with his disciples time after time after time. And he was going to emphasize to them the necessity of preaching the gospel to every person on the face of the earth. That's God's plan. Go ye into all the world. That's big, amen. And preach the gospel to every creature. Thank God you can't take the gospel to the wrong address, amen. You cannot preach the gospel to the wrong person. Now, he knew his, what his disciples would think. When he told them, I want you to get totally involved in this matter of world evangelization. And you cannot read the Great Commission without realizing that. That God was talking about them getting totally involved in this thing. Now, he knew that when he said that, that they would start thinking, but if I do that, how am I going to eat? How am I going to live? How am I going to take care of my children? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? So in Matthew chapter 6, he answers some of those questions. Uh, notice what he said. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and love the other. Now look at it. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, materialistic things are good servants, but they are poor masters. You see, if I have things, that's not bad. But if the things have me, that's bad. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. You cannot serve two masters. So in Matthew chapter 6, he teaches them how to think about money and materialistic things. Now let me give you three simple things from this chapter today. Uh, look, if you would, for just a moment at verse 25 and verse 26, okay? Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought. I'm, I'm, let me start over again. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. In other words, all these things that we worry about when God begins to deal with our heart about something. And then he says, is not the life more than meat and the body than remnant? Now, here's the verse I want you to look at real carefully. Behold the fowls of the air. By the way, don't ever make fun of bird watchers, okay? Jesus said do it, okay? He said, behold the fowls of the air. And, and that, that's a good thing to watch them, okay? Behold the fowls of the air. Have you ever seen a bird with snow on the ground and ice on the ground and he's sitting up on a a wire or something, he's just setting up our chirp, 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 chirp. And you think, dummy, you better worry about the, like the rest of us. How are you going to get any worms? You know, how are you going to do this? But somehow we've never been able to get into that bird's brain. 
even though many of us have a bird's brain, okay? But anyway, he said, Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they spin. Yet are, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in barns. Now here's what I want you to see. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? So think about this. Think about Jesus. He's saying, I want you to recognize your position. I want you to recognize your position. You have a heavenly father. Now remember, he's speaking disciples. He's speaking to people who have trusted Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And he is saying, you have a heavenly father. And by the way, the universal fatherhood of God and the universal fatherhood of man is not a Bible doctrine. Before we are born again by the Spirit of God, we are not the children of God. We are the creation of God, but we're not the children of God. But the very moment we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that moment we become a child of God. And by the way, if you're here tonight and you have never become a child of God, I've got good news for you. Because the Bible says of Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God or the children of God. In other words, the night I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I became a child of God. Of God. And he's saying, you have a heavenly father. If you read all of Matthew chapter 6, you will find six times the word father. He wants you to know that you have a father. Now, when I was born, uh, May the 30th, 1933, I was born into abject poverty. I was born in Northbrook, Kentucky, a mining town. And it's hard to think about it. We had no electricity. That means we had to watch television in the dark, okay? Okay. But think about it. No electricity, no telephone, no automobile, no wall-to-wall -wall carpet. We didn't have wall-to-wall -wall flooring. There were cracks in our floor. I mean, I was born in abject poverty. When I was born again on October 15th, 1949, I was born into great wealth. I became a child of God. Think about that. Now think about it. Anything God asked me to do, what I need to stop and think is, okay, since he's told me to do it, then the best thing for me to do is to do it. He is my heavenly father. And since he is my heavenly father, he will take good care of me. Uh, I only have two children, so I'm not really scriptural. Virginia and I were not scriptural. The Bible teaches us we're to multiply and replenish the earth. And we didn't multiply and replenish the earth. All we did was replace ourselves, okay? But some other missionaries have helped me with the average, okay? <laughs> 
And some of them have a lot. And anyway, we only have two children. And I, I can remember uh, when my son uh, was in the lower grades, uh, he was one of the shortest kids in the class. Then all of a sudden, about the fifth grade, he started growing. And he, I mean, he just looked like he was just popping up every day, you know. And uh, we, we would buy trousers, and first thing you know, they'd be too short. We'd buy shoes, and, and they'd be too small. And by the time he got to be in junior high school, he was getting tall, and, and he ate like a horse. And yet never one time did I ever come home and catch Tim moping around worrying. You know, I never, never saw him worrying about anything. And uh, you could have said to Tim, Tim, uh, don't you realize that shoes are expensive and trousers are expensive and food is expensive? And you know what Tim would have said? That's not my problem. That's my dad's problem. Hey, by the way, at one time he had four children and three of them were in college at the same time. That was his problem. Amen. <laughs> See what comes around goes around. Okay. I never will forget, Tim sent me a Father's Day card one day, one time, and he said this, to my dear dad, who would give me his last dollar from your son, who would take it, okay? <laughs> now, wh why didn't Tim worry? Why didn't Tim worry about food and clothes and so forth? He had a father that he believed would take care of him. And thank God we have a heavenly father now, I don't know about your earthly father. I don't know about his means or anything, but they make any difference. But I know this. As well as he can, he will take care of you. And we have a heavenly father. Uh, look over, if you would, in uh, verse 30 again. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye of little faith? Therefore... Take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles, people that don't know God, that's what the Gentiles mean, people that don't know the true and living God. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, listen to this, knoweth that you have need of all these things. Now what he's saying, He's saying, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. My, now, I may know that you have need of all these things, but I couldn't do much about it. But your heavenly Father not only knows about it, but he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Amen. And he owns the hills that they walk on, and he owns the gold and the silver and the oil and all the other things. In fact, four different times in the Bible, the Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in the universe belongs to him. And the wonderful thing is, he is your heavenly father. Phil in Indianapolis, Indiana, many years ago said to me, Brother says, if I gave to missions the way that I feel like God is leading me to give, my family would starve to death. And I said to him, go ahead and do it. We need some martyrs in North America. Amen. No, no. You're not going to starve to death doing what God tells you to do. Why? You have a heavenly father that loves you and is going to take care of you.
So Jesus said, I want you to recognize your position. I want you to recognize your position. Now, Jesus gave those early disciples a big job, and he's given us a big job. But he's saying, I want you to know that you have a heavenly father that will take care of you. And all you have to do is just find out what I want you to do and do it. Then secondly, he said, I want you to get your priorities straight. I want you to get your priorities straight. Look at verse 19 and 20 again. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You know what he's saying in verse 19? Don't get too heavily involved in earthly, temporal things. One, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust are corrupt. In other words, he's saying anything that I have materialistically thinking, my shoes, my, my suit, uh, my automobile, my, my house, my bank account, doesn't matter what it is. Anything that I have, anything bad can happen to it. You know, you buy new clothes and uh, they may begin to wear out or they may begin to shrink. Or maybe it's not the clothes shrinking, <laughs> it's you expanding, okay? And, but anything bad can happen to it. Uh, thieves can steal anything we have. And today, thieves don't have to break through and steal. All they have to do is steal your identity and they can steal you blind. So what's he saying? He's saying anything that you have, materialistically speaking, is very temporary. You're only going to have it for a little while. And then one day, uh, you'll not have any of it. For instance, if Jesus were to come tonight, we wouldn't take one materialistic thing that we have with us. If I should die tonight, I would not take one materialistic thing that I have with me. Have you noticed that one question is asked anytime anybody of any means dies, somebody will invariably ask the question, I wonder how much they left. And of course, the answer is always the same. They left it all. Somebody's well said, where there's a will, there's a lot of relatives, amen. <laughs> We're not gonna take anything, anything that I have materialistically speaking, anything bad can happen to it. And one day, I'll leave it all. So he said, don't get too heavily involved in earthly temporal things, okay? But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust is corrupt. In other words, moth cannot get there, rust cannot get there. And thank God there won't be any thieves there, amen? And thieves cannot break through and steal. In other words, He's saying, I want you to get your priorities right. Don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Get your priorities right. And you know, we have to continually weigh our priorities, okay? And uh, 
The most important thing I believe in all of the world, I, I, from the depth of my heart, I believe this. The most important thing in all of the world is that everybody hear the gospel at least one time. The young missionary that's just began debutation, his name is uh, Caleb Kevness. And he, he went to the Republic of Africa or the Republic of the Congo not too long ago on a medical team. And there, he stayed there four months. He rented a room. And he, and he stayed there. And, and he, because of the medical things he got in, it's very difficult to get in there. And uh, he studied a little bit of the language, not much. He didn't know much. But he said, one day I was sitting in my, on my porch. And just across the room was a medical facility. And in the Republic of Congo, there's practically no gospel witness whatsoever. He said that one, if you had three children, you could be sure that before they were 10 years old, one of them would die with malaria. And, you know, it, it, it's a very, very needy place. And Caleb said, I was sitting there and I saw this couple bring a little girl, probably five or six years old, into the clinic. And she said, he said, they'd only been there in the emergency room for just a few minutes. And I, I heard a horrible scream. And I knew that the little girl had died and the mother was screaming. And he said, the man came out and sat down on the sidewalk. I walked over there and I sat there with him. And I didn't know enough of the language to do much and I but I, I tried as best I could to say to him, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to help you. And I'll never forget. And he showed a man with his eyes fastened on Caleb. And he just said two words. Yesu Anani? Yesu Anani? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And Caleb on the video said, I didn't know enough to tell him who Jesus was. And ever since I've seen that little clip of that video, I've thought a thousand times, dear God, help us to do all that we can so that nobody in the world could say, who is Jesus? But most of the people do not know. Don't get too heavily involved in earthly temporal things, but get heavenly, heavily involved in spiritual, eternal things. So in this passage, Jesus says, Find out your position. You are a child of God. You have a heavenly father. Then he said, get your priorities right. And then he said, I want to give you a promise. I want to give you a promise. Here it is. Look at it, okay? Verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Why, is that good or not? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What things? Whatever you need to eat, whatever you need to drink, whatever you need to wear, it doesn't make any difference what it is. Whatever you need, he will provide. Now, in the Bible, there are two kinds of promises. There are conditional promises. And God will say, if you will do this, then I will do this. That's a conditional promise. Now, there are other promises that are just factual promises. In other words, you remember when Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house from many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Hey, that's an unconditional promise. It doesn't matter what happened. He's going to come again. Amen. That's it. And there are many unconditional promises in that, but there are many conditional promises. Now, here's the, here's the conditional promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You put God and his work first. And all these things shall be added unto you. Now I'm going to give you a Don says paraphrase. You say, I don't like paraphrases. I don't either. But I'm going to give you one, okay? Now here it is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. And I believe God is saying, you take care of my business and I'll take care of you. Think about that. You take care of my business. And I, you take care of God. You take care of my business. 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 And I will take care of you. Is that a good bargain or not? You take care of my business and I'll take care of you. Probably 25 years ago, maybe longer than that, I was in Prattville, Alabama. Brother Roger Park and I had gotten into a situation and we didn't get to the restaurant until about 1.15, 1.30, something like that. So there was no one in there except us at that particular time. No one in line. And it was one of these restaurants where you get your tray, you get your utensils, and then you give, give your order to the girl, and then you go to your place. And we were in line. We, we got our utensils. We were standing there in line and giving our orders. And a young man came in the front door. And when he came in the front door, he saw me. And he began to, to shout out, I know you. I know you. I know who you are. And so I'm wondering, why is he so excited about knowing me and who I am? He kept saying, I know who you are. You are Sam Walton. <laughs> and I turned around to Roger and I said, you know, I can't go anywhere anymore without somebody recognizing me. <laughs> and that young man thought he had met the richest man in the world, Sam Walton. And then I said to him, I said, son, uh, I'm not Sam Walton. I'm Don Sisk. I'm a, I'm a missionary. I'm preaching in a mission conference here at Faith Baptist Church here in Prattville. And it was like, like letting air out of a balloon. 
You know, he thought he read, met the richest man in the world. And Lord, he just met another Baptist preacher in Alabama. And in Alabama, Baptist preachers are a dime a dozen, okay? But I, I thought about that so many times. And I've, I've read two biographies about Sam Walton. I don't know if either of them was authentic or not. But anyway, I, I'd read a lot about his life. And Virginia and I one time was going to, uh, 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 to Arkansas uh, for a mission conference. And I got to think about this situation. I said to her, I said, wouldn't it be something if when I get down to where we're going, I would drive over to Bentonville and I'd go to that little restaurant where Sam Walton eats breakfast every morning when he's in town. And someone would introduce me to Sam Walton. Okay. And he and I would have breakfast together two or three mornings in a row. Maybe we'd go bird hunting together. He liked to bird hunt and so forth. And we'd, we'd just get to be pretty good friends. That wouldn't be a bad idea. And uh, one day we'd be sitting there and Sam would say, Don, tell you what let's do. Let you and I pool our resources. You put all of your money in it and I'll put all my money in and then we'll just have one common pool of money. Would that have been a good idea or not? At that time they say he controlled $20 billion dollars. Now, on a good day, I may could come up with $20, okay? <laughs> and by the way, that's nothing to laugh about. $20 billion, $20 is a lot of money, okay? And, and we'd meet together after that, and I'd say to him, I'd be very generous. I'd say, now, Sam, it's our money, okay? But just go ahead and use all that you want to. Whatever cause you like. And he'd say, Don, same to you. Now, think about it. Would that be a good deal or not? That would be a great deal. Amen. But you think about it. Every born again child of God has a lot better deal than that. Huh? See, it's not Sam Walton that controlled $20 billion and tonight is dead and does not control one penny. But it's the sovereign God of the universe that says to me and says to you, if you will take care of my business, 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 I will take care of you. And I'm glad a long time ago as a young man I learned that it's not my, my, my job to take care of Don Sisk. But it is my job to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and that all these things will be added unto us. Let's pray together. Pastor.